Welcome to Naked Reflections, brought to you from the Wolf Institute. I'm Ed Kessler, and each week I'll be taking an in-depth look at the stories reported by our friends over at the Naked Scientists. What does the latest scientific stuff mean for the rest of us? Stay with us and find out. How good are we in Britain at living together? There are persistent rumblings in the press and social media, highlighting hostility or at least uneasiness about growing ethnic, national and religious diversity in this country. So the Wolf Institute decided to conduct a study of British people's attitudes towards diversity to see what was actually going on. It was a national representative survey of over 11,000 adults living in England and Wales, undertaken in partnership with Servation, a leading market research company. We asked questions concerning attitudes towards a close relative marrying someone from a different ethnic, national or religious background, the levels of diversity amongst friendship groups and within the workplace, and attitudes towards demographic change within local neighbourhoods and across Britain. Our data revealed the importance of religion in shaping experiences and attitudes amongst Britons, but for many, religious diversity presents a bigger problem than national or ethnic diversity. When it comes to science, diversity also needs reflection. For example, in hiring researchers, not just as a PC requirement or a box to be ticked, it's actually integral to the scientific method and process and a positive benefit. Here's Kenny Gibbs from the National Institute of General Sciences speaking on the Naked Scientist podcast, Man's First Footsteps. The question sometimes is why diversity? And I say, well, why not? Why wouldn't we want the broadest pool of qualified people tackling these tough challenges. What I'm saying, the results are saying that we actually have a large pool of talented and qualified people that for some reason are not making those connections, right? And so we need to be thinking about how do we ensure those connections are being made. And we know that diversity in many respects is critical to scientific excellence, that groups with more diversity tend to ask broader questions, employ a wider variety of approaches, and ultimately go on leading to, to newer types of innovations. With me to discuss the Wolf Diversity Study are Dr. Julian Hargreaves, a social scientist and senior research fellow at the Wolf Institute who led our diversity study, and Julie Siddiqui, co-founder of Open My Mosque and former executive director of the Islamic Society of Britain and who was recently awarded an MBE for her interfaith work. Julian, could you explain the methodology of this survey and your modes of analysis? Uh, thank you. I would be glad to. Um, you've covered most of the basics in terms of the themes that the study focuses on. In terms of methods, we conducted an online survey of 11,701 adults. As you described, we were interested in people's attitudes and people's experiences. A lot of these types of surveys will focus exclusively on people's attitudes, so values and people's opinions. We wanted to incorporate those, but also incorporate people's lived experiences. We also included questions about people's age, people's education, employment, income. And this was uh, in an attempt to break beyond simplistic findings around people's ethnic and religious identities. Once the data had been gathered, we analysed them in various ways. So, for instance, we used some fairly basic statistical techniques and we used some more advanced statistical techniques to predict the likelihood of holding certain attitudes. 
So for instance, we were interested in whether people were negative towards diversity in their local area, and we predicted negative attitudes based on a series of factors, sex, age, ethnicity, religion, income. In terms of the marriage question, we asked, how would you feel if a close relative married somebody from a different background? And we were able to incorporate methods developed at Royal Holloway University. These methods are called MRP, multi-level regression post-stratification. And without getting into the technicalities too much, what we were able to do was to take the data and use them to make estimates or attitudes within local authorities. So we were able to drill down to a very, very local. So what you've got then is a very detailed analysis with some sophisticated techniques. So let me ask a very basic question. What was the headline takeaway conclusion? In terms of the headline findings in our report, I would say there are two or three really key things that we found. The first is that we found a British public that was largely positive towards diversity. So there were many more people who were positive towards ethnic diversity than negative. Many more people who were positive towards migrants within British society than negative. And in a way, that's quite surprising if we think about some of the current media stories around division, around racism and around discrimination, you might assume that those attitudes would be a lot more negative. But actually, we found positive attitudes. We found less positive attitudes towards religion. So the British public at large, we say in the report, are less positive towards religious diversity than they are towards ethnic diversity. We also found, in terms of attitudes towards marriage, we found the British public to be largely positive towards the idea of a close relative marrying someone from an, another ethnic or national background, but we found less positive attitudes towards a close relative marrying someone from a different religious background. So we found negative attitudes towards people of faith, and we found negative attitudes between people of faith. Well, before we take that a little bit deeper, let me ask Julie, you spent many years, if not decades, devoted to fostering better relations in our diverse communities. Is the very word diversity overused and empty of any meaning whatsoever? Uh, I mean, first of all, just to say thanks for doing such a brilliant, interesting study and to go sort of deeper and different and talk about things like marrying, I think is a brilliant idea. So well done for doing that. But largely, I, I, I like the word and I like the fact that we can talk about these things in this way. But I guess diversity also means there's lots of different types of diversity. And of course, a person can carry lots of different types of diversity as one person, right? I was talking to a, a friend recently who is an Asian uh, Muslim woman who has a wheelchair, who is middle-aged, who wears a headscarf, who is brown. I mean, so she has lots of layers of stuff, you know, positive, but also can be negative. And so I think it's fascinating in that sense when you unpick it in that way. 
The study looks at three different aspects, doesn't it, Julian? Uh, Religion, ethnicity and and nationality. Let's just explore ethnicity and nationality for a moment. What are the differences between the two? And don't they overlap in a way that Judy suggested with this Asian person who's also Muslim and uh, female and in a wheelchair? Aren't there overlapping uh, themes? There are overlapping themes. Yes, you're quite right. So we wanted to ask some questions which touched upon one of the hottest issues at the moment, which is that of immigration. But we know immigration to be a very sensitive topic, which is likely to um, bring to the surface some very motive uh, sentiment. And we weren't looking to avoid them at all, but we just wanted to make a fair comparison between different types of diversity. So we asked about ethnic diversity, and then we asked about migrants as a a proxy measure for national diversity. What we wanted to do was find out from the respondents which of these terms was likely to trigger positive and negative attitudes in order to make a comparison across the three types of diversity in which we were interested. So, for example, I know the the research, because I was involved in it with you, um, showed that uh, women are more positive to diversity than men. And I think that must echo with your work, Julie, with some of the sort of Nisa Nashim and this, and that's the Jewish uh, Muslim women's organisation. But is that your experience also, that women are more open to diversity than men? I don't have data, but, and you do, but I think anecdotally, yes. But I guess it's to do with the friendships and people spending time making that happen, which kind of doesn't happen by itself always. You have to sort of make it happen. And certainly in my experience, when that does happen, it always works. So when people get to know others, that will in itself help because you just very quickly realise that we really, really are all the same underneath. We may look different and we have different personalities and lives, etc. But actually, the core stuff, we all worry about the same things. So you don't know that until you get to know people. So the friendship stuff and the effort that has to go into that, I think, is what is crucial. And so I guess, yes, women, you could say, you know, sort of generalising, do tend to be better at that or put the time in or be feel more social or sociable. I think what I found fascinating, and there's lots of things that I find fascinating about this research, but one of them is around the perception that we have of how people feel as opposed to what actually came through your data. And I've heard that said before, and it's quite interesting and scary, really, when you think about it, because it literally means that what we hear in newspapers or on TV or in the news of the general feeling that we get is one thing when you actually drill down the real people are not like that that's kind of scary but also interesting for me I think the nature of media reports around racism and discrimination because of the nature of the topics themselves they're extremely sensitive topics and I think actually for researchers and I include myself in this I think there's a reputational risk for asserting a positive narrative around race and ethnicity in this country. What I mean by that is, if you assert a negative picture, if you say that I'm very, very concerned about this, it's never been worse, it's getting worse, it's a terrible situation, people can sort of rally around that. I think because of the sensitivities, particularly around race at the moment, any attempt to depict a more positive story is liable to attract criticism and attack along the lines of, 
oh, well, you're trying to remove the right of victims of racism to speak up, or you're trying to silence victims, or you're trying to trivialise these terrible uh, situations that a lot of people in this country go through. And of course, our report and our study doesn't aim to do that. And I don't think it does do that, because we also depict some negative uh, perspectives. But I think our approach, where we've tried to be objective and neutral and balanced, will hopefully persuade some that you can report good news stories alongside negative news stories. We can say we've come a long way, but we've still a long way to go. What conclusions can we draw about the geographical variations in sentiment towards diversity? Let's start with you, Julian. Well, we did find regional differences across a number of issues and factors. So we find that attitudes towards diversity at both the national and local level So when people ask, has diversity been good for British society and has it been good for your local community? Both those series of questions generated regional differences. And without going into the specifics of each region, I would say that overall, people outside London tended to be less positive. People in the northwest and northeast tended to be less positive. But not just about attitudes, they were also less likely to have mixed, diverse friendships. And that, I think, raises a number of important questions. The first question is, how do we accommodate those findings? How should we react to them? And I would argue that we don't need to point the finger. We don't need to ascribe blame. We don't need to... Uh, think of people outside London as being racist or bigoted or fodder for the far right or anything like that. But I do think we need to think more sympathetically about people's attitudes towards, for instance, the changing nature of their local communities. And I think that comes with the second point, I would say, which is, and it's one of the recommendations in the report, that the regional differences provide strong evidence and a strong case, I think, for further devolvement of integration and cohesion policy. We know a number of local authorities already design their own measures, but I think central government actually should think regionally more often on these issues. I suppose I'm not that surprised about the geographical differences, but I totally agree with Julian that the easy way for some of us who live in sometimes bubbles of other types that we could easily be very dismissive of other people but I think we do that at our peril and actually we've kind of seen over the last few years that people are feeling others are not listening to them and then that means we do need to listen even more and I think that it's not surprising that that people who live in or don't have friends that are from different backgrounds then have different you know fear towards other people and that is then fueled by headlines or whatever you can totally see how it happens, that you get this image of others. And I think the localised picture and looking at that from a perspective locally needs to really be re-looked at again. I, I just really do think that. So in terms of friendship, I completely agree that, that it's a vital component of diversity and improving relations between the types of groups. But the report reveals that actually there's a good basis from which to work. So we found, for instance, that 
10%. So nearly nine in 10 people who told us they were religious have friends from other faith backgrounds. The findings also revealed that over three quarters of us, regardless of our ethnic background, have friends from other ethnic groups. So again, there's a good news story there about people's lived experience. You're listening to Naked Reflections with me, Ed Kessler, and my guests this week are Julian Hargreaves and Julie Siddiqui. And we're discussing diversity. Let's take another look at how scientists approach these matters or how they should approach them. Here's Dan Bang of the University College London speaking on the Naked Scientist podcast, Diet, Can We Be Healthy and Sustainable? If we think in the same way, we're likely to start searching in exactly the same place. People have to be different in different ways, if you like. So what we do is that we distinguish between different kinds of diversity. We, we think of identity diversity, which is individual differences in personal characteristics, characteristics that we all can see, such as gender, age, cultural background. But then there's also a more subtle form of diversity, which is functional diversity. And that is differences in how people think and solve problems. However, it's as well to remember that everything has not been hunky-dory in the science community when it comes to diversity. You may remember the movie Hidden Figures, which told the fascinating story of the mathematician Katherine Johnson and other black women who worked for the NASA Apollo program but did not receive due credit. I want to come on to the question of religious diversity because it does seem, from the findings, to cause more anxiety than ethnic or national diversity. And I wonder, Julian, if you can take us through those findings, and in particular, of course, some of the concerns about attitudes towards Islam in comparison with other minority faith communities. So less than a half of the respondents to our survey thought that religious diversity is good for British society. So we saw religious diversity in British society being the least popular form. That wasn't quite the case at the local level, but certainly at a national level, there were less positive attitudes towards religious diversity. Now, when we looked at some attitudes towards ethnic groups, people from different countries, so different national backgrounds, it was often the ethnic group or the national group with the relationship to Islam that was perceived less positively. So for instance, in terms of the marriage question, uh, people from Pakistan, uh, Iraq were seen less positively. We used Arab as one of the ethnic groups. It was the least popular. And in terms of the faith group, which attracted most negative sentiment, that was clearly a Muslim people. And interestingly, there were far more positive attitudes towards Asian people than there were towards Muslim people. Now, that could be that when we, were, we asked questions around Asian people, people were also thinking about Chinese people or non-Muslim Indian people, for example. But even when we asked questions about a person from Pakistan, we found that attitudes were more positive than when we asked a question about Muslim people. And that's interesting because what we know about people from Pakistan is, of course, that the vast majority in this country are Muslim. So we might expect that findings would be broadly similar when we ask questions about people from Pakistan and ask questions about Muslim people. And so what we were thinking of was that perhaps the word Muslim triggers negative sentiment in a way that the word Pakistan or even uh, Asian or Indian doesn't. Now, Julie, you've worked, of course, a great deal in Muslim, non-Muslim relations. Does that finding surprise you? 
I mean, sadly, it doesn't surprise me in terms of religion. And obviously, I am Muslim and very proud to be so, but can also see why some of that unease has happened. Of course, there's terrible things happening all over the world and sometimes even local and Europe, etc. done terrible things by people who consider themselves Muslim. I can't put into words how it feels when that happens. It's like your heart sinks and then when you hear it, it's a Muslim and my heart goes even further. It's very, very hard to explain and feels terrible. But of course, all of those stories add into the picture. And I think we all need to acknowledge that when people are thinking of their country in a certain way and then feeling that all of these horrible people are coming in, that's how people feel. So, you know, for me, it's heartbreaking to hear that the Muslim question is the most negative. But I guess I have to see it from a point of view of opportunity and then figure out what do we do about it. I think that's a really interesting point, because what the findings have shown is that on the one hand, Muslims more than any other faith group are targeted with people's unease, if I can put, put it like that, because it is about individual attitudes rather than institutional attitudes. And at the same time, the research is showing that Muslim communities also, Muslim people, I should say, rather than communities, also seem to be more negative than the average in attitudes towards others from a faith perspective. But you've got both the sense of being the target of prejudice, but also sort of, is it the reaction to that that makes the community and individuals more insular or less open to others? I think that it is about people becoming defensive. And, you know, in a way, I feel like we were going okay, and then things happen and people sort of go backwards. And it's very easy then for leadership to be lacking, frankly, in terms of positive kind of outlook and then make people all look inwards and go backwards and back into the corner and feel like they're being hated upon. There's a very strong feeling of that amongst Muslims, which I feel is very, very unhelpful, but kind of understandable. I wouldn't just dismiss it straight away because onslaught is quite great at times, it feels like, uh, and your research actually plays that out. So the response then, sometimes it's hard to be positive and outward looking and reaching out when you feel like other people don't want us to. But it falls upon those of us that can do that, meaning can switch that and think, okay, respond bad with better. As Michelle Obama would say, go higher when they go lower, that kind of thing. I completely support what Julie said. And clearly, I'm not in a position to add expert commentary. And part of the reason for doing the study is to offer some of the data to fuel some of these conversations and debates. What I would say in response to that is that whilst the study provides a snapshot of a moment in time, we shouldn't presume that these attitudes are static. And the evidence for that from the study comes from the interviews we did to support some of the key findings. And when I interviewed some people from Muslim backgrounds, the key finding there was that there have been some significant generational shifts in marriage behaviour and attitudes towards marriage. And actually, some of them support the positive views around ethnicity. So, for example, we talked to people in their 40s and 50s who said that their parents would only ever want to marry somebody from their particular region or at a push their own country. But if you fast forward 
two generations on, you find young people still wishing to marry within the Islamic faith and tradition, but looking further afield than their own ethnic background for potential partners. So I don't want people to think that the study depicts Muslims as being static in their attitudes and behaviours. Clearly, these things shift and are capable of shifting further in the future. As we draw towards a close, I want to ask about the workplace. This is something that Julie has raised herself in terms of where you make friends, where you meet people, where you get to know one another. Now, there has been some interesting findings that came out of the report, Julian. Tell us more. Well, the first thing to say is that British workplaces are very diverse. So three quarters of people who are working, so three quarters of workers in England and Wales, regardless of ethnicity, work in a setting which is ethnically diverse. Three quarters of people who described their ethnicity as British work in settings with non-British workers and three quarters of people born in the UK work in diverse settings. In terms of religious diversity in the workplace, over 80% of workers who describe themselves as religious work in religiously diverse settings. In terms of wider integration and cohesion policy, I also think the workplace generally has been overlooked by policymakers. Often when we think about initiatives to encourage or improve diversity, we think about schools and colleges, we think about places of worship, and we think about community centres or sporting activities. All these things are, of course, essential for better mixing, better social mixing. But I think the workplace is a fantastic place, uh, full of potential for cohesion and integration, and something which I think policymakers have shied away from. We know that people in work are more likely to have diverse friends. We know that in the workplace, we might think about this anecdotally, we come across a lot more people from different ethnic and national and religious backgrounds. And I think as well, some of the norms around social mixing are challenged in the workplace. So it could be the case, for instance, that people come from local settings, community settings, where mixing with other people is stigmatised. And I'm not just talking about minority groups. I think that's as evident for majority groups. But the workplace, with its shared goals, spirit of cooperation, I think is a fantastic place which policymakers should value more greatly. Julie, in your experience in working in social cohesion and um, interfaith relations, have you found the workplace a place of encounter, a place that can facilitate dialogue and celebrate diversity? Yeah, I think it's actually fascinating that you've included it. And um, so certainly from my own experience, then, yes, when I was working in an office and things, it, it was positive in that sense. One thing I would say, though, I think it won't happen by itself necessarily in the deep way that it needs to happen. So that needs to be better facilitated by bosses and, you know, by management, etc. And again, it's that whole thing about integrating and diversity within a company that needs to be much more organic than it kind of is and if you talk about diversity and you talk about your values and then when you look at the board of management all of them are white for example or male or over a certain age then you kind of think well it's all very well having these values on a paper but what does that tell you about the actual dna of the company 
So I actually think there's probably quite a lot more that needs to be done on that score. And I would also put a challenge to anybody listening to say that if you are working with people from different backgrounds, go one step further, perhaps out of your comfort zone and actually invite them around your house. Because I think that when you do that, then you're taking it almost like a step further. And I'm not sure that that many people do that because it might feel weird or whatever. But if we make that a bit more common to ask your boss or ask a colleague or someone, just come around your house. You know, when people go to each other's houses just for dinner, it's really powerful and it makes a lot of difference. So that would be my kind of challenge to people, I think. Invite someone around to your house is like the next bit than just sitting in the coffee area and chatting about whatever. There's challenge for listeners of Naked Reflections. We've reached the end of this episode and I hope that wider discussion of diversity will go on for a good while yet. Thanks to my guests, Julian Hargreaves and Julie Siddiqui. We'd like to hear from you at nakedreflections at wolf.cam.ac.uk. Let us know where we're going wrong or better still, what we're getting right. If you'd like to catch up with our back catalogue, you can find more episodes of Naked Reflections and subscribe to the Naked Reflections podcast wherever you access your podcasts or at nakedscientists.com slash reflections. I'll be back with more guests next week. <laughs>